Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, hour two of Mornings with Carmen today. We started a conversation yesterday about what the Bible has to say about citizenship. So today I offer up Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 11, into that conversation about civility and humility. So reading now Paul's words to the Christians at Ephesus, and he says, therefore, now anytime we start a passage reading the word therefore, we have to ask ourselves, what's the therefore, therefore? So I am going to encourage you to go back and read Ephesians 1 and chapter 2 verse through verse 10, we're going to pick up at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles uh, in the flesh called, quote, the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He's talking here about the distinction between Jews and Gentiles. The reason I start with verse 11 is because that um, often we just pick up here at verse 12 and we don't recognize the context of this passage. So, There is a clear demarcation between those who are in and those who are out in terms of the fellowship of the people of God. There are Jews who are in and there are Gentiles who are out. That's it. And the the line of demarcation, the physical difference is circumcision. So Paul is addressing that in verse 11. And then he says in verse 12, remember uh, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. He is talking there about being out of fellowship with God in such a way that you are out of the kingdom. You are out. There are some who are in and there are some who are out. And Paul is describing that. And then he says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus. So by the way, that's the, uh, that's the circle drawn around who's in and who's out now. Uh, but now in Christ Jesus, You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Well, Romans uh, 5, 1 through 5, by the way, if you want a quick lesson on what it means to be at peace with God. If you're looking for peace, man, it's in Jesus. All right. For he himself is our peace. He who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. He's talking there about Gentiles and Jews. He's talking about those who were outside of the fellowship of the people of God, outside of the kingdom, not citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And through him, this is verse 18, and through him, we both, we might say we all, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined 
uh, together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That is a citizenship language from the Apostle Paul. What does the Bible have to say about citizenship? Well, there's a passage. All right, up next, a conversation with Bill English. We're going to talk about what it is going to look like for churches to get back to being church. Whoo! Challenging days. How's it going to look different? And how are we going to reach people either currently on the fringe or outside of the body altogether? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Bible and business.com. Welcome back, man. Hey, I'm glad to be back. We uh we are going to reserve our happy anniversary wishes to um following the break because we have a little song we'd like to sing. So, we're <laughs> reserving that. Okay, so we're going to have to talk about how to do church differently. Um we got Barner research out that, you know, is talking about just the extraordinary number of churches that had comorbidities heading into COVID. They are not going to survive. Um, those sheep are going to be looking for new flocks. We have a lot of people who have come to Christ in the midst of the coronavirus. They need worshiping communities that are going to integrate them and disciple them. Um, and then we just have a lot of people who've just sort of dropped off the fringes. Um, and we need to find a way to uh, to reach back out to those who have, I mean, maybe the language has fallen away, but certainly disconnected from the body in this season. You got some thoughts on how we're going to maybe do some things differently that... Um, you know, where church is going to be church in different ways, in new ways. Yeah, I, church is, um, uh, how, do, how do I say this? Uh, traditional uh, evangelicals think about church as four meetings on Sundays, and then we have other stuff going on during the weeks. But it's the Sunday morning services, I think, if you were to say, what is church? People would say, well, it's going to, it's going to church on Sunday morning. It's, it's going a meeting on Sunday mornings. Okay, I don't think that's uh, just evangelical Christians. I think that's uh, all Christians. I think that's yeah, and, Resurrection Day people. Okay, and, and let's throw the Catholics in there, too. They're going to Mass. No, that's what right? I'm saying. Yeah. That's, why, that's yeah. why I said it that way. I think that's yeah. Christians. Yeah. So— what what I guess the macro of what I'm trying to say is instead of viewing these other things during the week as bolt-ons or add-ons uh, to what real church is, what I'm what I'm mulling over in my head is the fact that sometimes these other things are going to be the conduit at which we connect people to God and to us, and then over time we connect them to the larger body. Completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the first thing I'm doing is not inviting somebody to join me in worship on Sunday morning. The first thing I'm doing is manifesting to them what it looks like to be in a relationship with a Christian, how my life is different, um, and allow the gospel to sort of ooze out in such a way that they're like, I I need I need what they have. And and they yeah. And then along the way, I can invite them to church. I can invite them to Sunday morning worship. Maybe we should distinguish it that way. Yeah. And being the church. I'm being the church out there all the time, but I'm going to invite them to Sunday morning worship at some point along the way. Yeah, and that's why I kind of phrase it as we can do church in a number of different places, and we can do church uh, over a number of different shared interests. Uh, and yeah. 
and that way we we connect them because people who are on the fringe or people who are completely unchurched uh, and it's hard to say that word but people who are completely disconnected from God their first entree into a relationship with Jesus Christ probably is not going to be coming to a service it's going to be connecting with somebody who genuinely cares about them and loves them and with whom they have a shared interest. Uh, you can almost take um, Everett's, uh, Everett Rogers' book, uh, Diffusion of Innovations, and you could apply it to how we bring people into the church. And I know nobody knows this book. Uh, it, yes, he, it's about wrote, disintermediation. I, I am familiar with this book. That's a, dis- I like intermediation? this. Yeah, how this will becoming oh. more, yeah, more and more fragmented. These intermediating institutions are being replaced by people going directly to sources. And anyway, go ahead. Well, he it. was he he studied Iowa farmers in the fifties, and what he was trying to figure out was how do we get Iowa farmers to adopt a new hybrid seed of corn? Okay, these old crusty, dyed in the wool guys, right? How do we how do we get them to accept an innovation? And he he was the guy who came up with change management, the early adopters, late adopters, laggards, that that whole piece. He's the guy that came up with that. And when you know when you apply that to how we share the gospel, the first thing we have to do is connect with people where they are, over what interests them. And when we connect with them that way and start to share our lives, then they are drawn to us. And as they hear us talk about the Lord, then they start to be drawn to the Lord. It has to start with relationships, and it gets messy because we have to share our lives, not invite them to an event. And that takes more time. It takes more effort. It takes more involvement. But that's how I think church is going to have to change here moving forward. Apparently, Iowa farmers are ready for um, all kinds of change, according to my Googling during our conversation. They're, they're, are you serious? They have a Seeds of Change Award. I mean, they have oh all kinds my. of stuff going on in Iowa in relationship to seeds <laughs> and corn. And yeah, I, we probably should have them on to talk about all the changes related to that. Okay, you um, Bill, you we have to take a very brief break. Can, when we come back, can we pivot um, conversations? I, I had a person um, who just yesterday said out loud, my husband and I need a different kind of giving plan in 2021. And I think that's because some of the things that they have traditionally given to and the ways that they have traditionally given, they have been like event givers. They have been part of the group of people that gets invited to lots of different events and they write checks at those events. Well, those events haven't happened this year. And so either those asks have been different or they haven't been asked. And so they're arriving toward the end of the year and they are recognizing that they have not given in this year nearly uh, at their capacity, I mean, nowhere near their capacity. And um, and so they they need a giving strategy for the year end and then also for the year ahead. So can we talk a little bit about that, um, you know, how to be more generous as Christians, particularly for people who have some capacity to give here at year end or, um, or in the coming year? Yeah, I'd be happy to. All right. I'd love that. That's up next here with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. For a cheerful toast and fill happy, <laughs> happy anniversary to Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Hey, thank you. 27 uh, 27 years, right? years with my lovely bride, Kathy. And Kathy, I just want to say thank you for marrying me. I'm not sure that you would do it again, but I would. And so <laughs> very happy, very happy that it's our 27th. I love that. That's that's wonderful. 
Um, we want to be people who honor marriage. Absolutely. So um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Let's talk oh, about welcome. Christians and generosity and some of the challenges posed, but also some of the opportunities that, that are out there. Uh, challenges posed when it, when it, when it uh, comes to being more generous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is there's a lot of need. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you have to steward your cash well. You have to, the need is not the call. Um, I, I picked mm. up on that early on. Just because there's a need doesn't mean God is calling you to give to it or to get involved in it or to meet that need in some way. So there, there's a little bit of a tension here in what we're going to talk about in this segment. Um, so steward your cash well. Consider carefully to whom and, and or to what you are giving. And I get that from Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls in front of pigs, lest they trample them with their feet and turn around and tear you to pieces. Not all Christian ministries are dogs. I'm not saying that. Not everything that we can give to in Christianity is, is pigs. But there are some needs out there that the, your money would be misused. And so you have to have discernment. You have to have discernment about your cash, because the cash that God has entrusted to you is holy. It is sacred. And how you spend it should be under the direction of the Holy Spirit, not based on the emotional tug need or the heartstrings that they pull. Um, so you, so you got to be careful who you um, who you give your cash to. That's the that's the warning piece of that. All right, and then the the sort of joy piece, right? Um, right. T- talk about that. Talk about. I mean, it's fun to give. It is. It is. It is. And and the more you give, the funner it gets, if I can use that word. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> funner funner is a better better word of the day than disintermediation. I'm just going right out there and throwing that out there. You can have funner. Go ahead. You know, you you know, you live on the edge, don't you? You know, you I really do. you take risks. No, I've been playing a lot God... of Scrabble. I've been playing a lot of Scrabble and I am definitely I used uh, Squawker in uh, the first hour and then I wrote it down and I'm like, that is an excellent Scrabble word. Ooh, all right, squawker. that's that's all. See, I'm just telling you, yeah, squawker, like the hawkers right. and the squawkers. Anyway, all right, back to this okay, conversation. The, the joy part. God rescued us from certain destruction by giving us his very best, his son. Mm-hmm. He gave us everything he had to redeem us. And so God's heart is in part a generous heart. There's other aspects to his heart, but his heart is very generous. And so we give generously because we reflect the heart of God. Uh, Leviticus 25, verse 35 through 38, if, if your brother becomes poor, cannot maintain himself, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. By the way, take time and go through the Old Testament and look up all the commands that Israel had to follow when it came to strangers. What is it like to be a stranger in the land? And then going back, uh, take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God. Uh, don't lend him any money and interest. Uh, don't give him your food a profit. Why? Because I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and into the land of Canaan to be your God. I rescued you from Egypt, God says. Therefore, you are kind and generous to the stranger. God says in, in Colossians 1 that he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. That's why we are generous with people who have need. Hmm. Out of the overflow of of who God is, you know, like we are we are created, and out of the overflow of God's character, 
we I mean it's there's this abundance reality yes. to who God is. There's it's not there's not a he's not lacking um in anything. There's not, you know, he's not going to run out of resources for us to share with others. There's a way to think about things that is different when you're a Christian in terms of not only the access that we have to God's abundance, um, but to the joy of being conduits of that grace. And his abundance is will be especially displayed in heaven. See, when we give to people here on earth, we are building up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And Christ said, do this. Use the treasures in heaven as a motivation for giving away your wealth now. And God created an economic system such that wealth is a renewable resource, so we can go out and create more wealth to give it away, and so we can create more wealth, so we can give it away. And all the time, we're building up for ourselves treasures in heaven, and that's a legitimate, holy motivation, right? And his yeah. abundance his abundance cannot be outdone when it comes to giving treasures in heaven. It, it just can't. Yeah, you are a bigger pie guy. You are, when you talk about, um, you know, wealth creation and the opportunity to create wealth, and then, you know, that creates even greater opportunities to be generous and advance the kingdom, um, it's because you rightly believe that the pie is not a limited resource that must just be carved up into smaller and smaller pieces for more and more people, but that the pie itself is, can be bigger. You are a bigger pie guy. I am. I, I know. And it, and it better be cherry pie. <clears throat> so <clears throat> Those like really those like tart cherries from like Michigan. Yeah. 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 Or, mm. yeah or, uh, or Dutch apple. But yeah, I'm a bigger <clears throat> pie guy. Wealth is a renewable resource. God is the Dutch apple the, pie the one with the crumbly stuff on the top? Yes, of course. Yes. Oh. And, and warmed up with vanilla. Oh, ice cream. <clears throat> oh, but God gives us the ability to create wealth. And yeah. if it was if it was a limited pie, he couldn't say that. And he says that in Deuteronomy 8. And so um, if, if the pie was fixed, he couldn't give everybody or at least certain people the ability to create, to innovate, to make more wealth. And as we make more wealth, like Susanna Wesley said to John Wesley, work as hard as you can to make as much as you can so you can give away as much as you can. Right. And so we can go out and we can create wealth, but not so that we can live in some high, fancy, wonderful, beautiful, fabulous, marvelous house so that we can give it away and create a treasure for ourselves in heaven, which will far exceed any house that we could buy here on earth. And God and Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us there. And uh, yes, and he's coming and he's back to get us when it's ready. So I just it's he's so working great. on it. He's working on he's it. Got, he's got the carpenter on. That's exactly That's right. right. You love it. And he's All got right. Dutch apple for lunch, I'm telling you. Yeah, there's no question. No question about it. There is Dutch apple pie on the table. And for people in Wisconsin, it's got cheese on it. Yep. Right? Yep. And you know what? Did they come and... up with that, by the way, the sharp cheddar cheese on top of the apple pie? Did that happen? Does that originate in Wisconsin? It feels like it might have. It must have because, mm. oh, my gosh, that's such a horrible idea. Anyway. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, no, let's not, degrade the, let's not degrade the cheese people in Wisconsin. Okay, so um, we've right. celebrated the Iowa farmers. Let's also celebrate the dairy farmers in Wisconsin today, even yes. as we are celebrating yes. the veterans and Bill English's 27th anniversary. It is a day of celebration. Let them eat pie. <laughs> whoop, whoop. All right. Hey, um, pie is not just in the sky for the people of faith um pie is right here and right now and it's not even taste and see tuesday all right bill english thank you so much we got to take a break for break point
All right, who are you becoming? And how will you get there? We are people who are in Christ, and we recognize that God calls us to grow up every way into him, into Christ who is the head. We have acknowledged that um, we are going to be no longer conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, We have acknowledged that we will work cooperatively with the Holy Spirit to bring us into greater, greater, greater and greater conformity with who Christ is, transforming us by one degree of glory to another. And yet, and yet, confessedly, I don't know, is confessedly a word? Confessedly, um, many of us do not have a particular plan as to how that is going to happen. We believe that we are becoming the people whom God has created, called, and redeemed us to be, but we don't necessarily have a plan um, for how we're going to get there. So this conversation up next is about that. Rhythms for life, spiritual practices for who God made you to be. Alistair Stern is going to join me, and we're going to talk about not only who we are called in Christ to be, but how we're going to get there. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. John 19 and verse 30 says, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is Max Locato. Does the crucifixion qualify as a miracle? By all means, it embodies every feature of the other miracles in John's gospel. Water didn't become wine, but sinners became saints. On Calvary, Jesus didn't heal a servant with a proclamation. He healed all generations with an affirmation. On Good Friday, Jesus didn't tell a lame man to walk. He invited all of us to dance. With a single proclamation, Jesus fed more than a crowd, stilled more than a storm, gave sight to more than one man. His command at the Bethany Cemetery was enough to call Lazarus from the grave. His announcement on Calvary was sufficient to save all who believe in him from eternal death. Remember, friend, you are never alone. This is Max Locato. joins me now. He is the founding and lead pastor of St. Peter's Fireside in Vancouver. Uh, he also serves as canon of church planting for the Anglican Network in Canada. And because he is an Anglican canon, he has some sort of cool ermine cape, I'm betting. <laughs> Alistair, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, thank you for having me, Carmen. It's good to I, be with you. Did you get an ermine cape? Is that part of the... Uh, is that part of the canon deal in the Anglican Church? Sadly, no. That would be <gasps> wonderful. Uh, I was going to just print business cards with a little canon on it, but I yes. haven't got around to it. Yes. Well, um, thank you for joining us today. The book is um, Rhythms for Life. I want to talk. I do want to talk with you about church planting at some point in this conversation. And I do love the Anglican Church of North America. Great friends in the ACNA and the ACA. Um, so just appreciate all that you're doing there. But let's talk specifically about the book, um, sure. Rhythms for Life. First of all, um, I think that when we think of the word rhythm, we're thinking uh, many people are going to think of some sort of musical way of you're either in step or out of step. You feel out of sync or you feel like you are in the rhythm of something. And talk with us about about that, because there is this sense in your book that 
I I know that this is either me sort of in the groove or out of the groove. Like it's and it's clear and it's distinct and it's unique to each one of us. Yeah, that's a great way of um, summarizing the the what's trying to be communicated by using the word rhythm. Uh, the book's divided into two parts where you reflect on who God made you to be by looking at your identity, your your personality, your spiritual gifts, your values, your purpose, your roles. Uh, and then connecting that with spiritual disciplines and practices like Bible reading, prayer, community, uh, and a, m- a bunch of other practices I explore in the book. But we're in rhythm when those two things are connected. And so often we might just think, well, I need to read my Bible. And and you read your Bible, and you might be reading it every day, but still feel out of sync with who you are. And it's because uh, we need to discover unique expressions of each practice that connect with who God made us to be. And and so the idea of being in rhythm is that it changes from season to season, that what may have worked for you for the last six months uh, isn't working right now. And it, it just might be because things changed. You know, it could be the craziness of living in a pandemic and suddenly you need to have different spiritual practices. Um, I talk about in the book when my my children were born and when they were quite young, uh, all my spiritual rhythms just weren't working in the same way because I was so tired. And it was the same for my wife, uh, probably more so. And so rather than heaping up guilt or shame and being like, why am I not praying more? Why am I not reading the Bible more? I said, well, what does it look like to be a bit more gracious in a season where you're underslept and, and what kind of spiritual mm. practices might best support it? All right. Um, I I love some of the downloadable things that I have found related to this. The study guide is wonderful. Um, Rhythms for Life, InterVarsity Press is where you're going to want to head, um, ivpress.com, Rhythms for Life, and um, and check out some of the downloadable materials. Let's talk about, because if I just look at the uh, the card, I see the four words that I think we want to be sure we highlight, up, in, without. Talk about up, in, without. So... Those four directions are uh, ways of summarizing different spiritual practices uh, and different goals of each practice. So up is upward to God. And those will be practices uh, that help you move onward and upward to Christ. And and so rather than just focus on, say, Bible study, I talk about solitude with God. How are you carving out regular time in your life to be present to the presence of Christ? Uh, another up practice is gratitude. And and often we overlook in Scripture uh, that we're commanded to rejoice. We're commanded to give thanks. And it's not that we have to muster up an emotion that's not there, but that the emotion often follows obedience. Uh, you, you give thanks, and then as a byproduct, you feel gratitude. And I talk about it as an upward rhythm because uh, gratitude sustains a grace-filled worldview. Uh, I also look at Sabbath keeping, uh, not necessarily having to be sundown to sundown on, you know, Friday night through Saturday, but a 24 hour period of rest that helps keep you in sync with the way God has made things. Uh, in is inward to self. And so, uh, that practice is looking more at self-examination and, uh, being present to who God made you specifically and, how you bring that into relationship with him. And so uh, I look at different practices of how you can uh, explore confession, for example, or uh, even stewardship of not just a task list of did I do the right things, but how do I relate to things? How do I relate to other people? How do I 
relate to the technology I'm using on an everyday basis. Um, so upward to God, inward to self. Uh, and the, the, the next two are um, with, which is withward in community. Uh, and that practice is, is one that I think is really, really important of developing intentional rhythms of meaningful connection with followers of Christ. Uh, and that's one of those practices that gets a little harder as you get older, you know, re relationships almost seem to happen instinctually, uh, you know, in your twenties. And then as people start having kids or as life starts changing around them, you know, they hit their forties and it's just like, where did all my friends go? And so I talk about spiritual friendship in that chapter and the need to be intentional in choosing and inviting others to journey with you toward Christ. And, and so I talk about, uh, couple years into church planting, I had to have like a DTR with a, a person in our church to define the relationship and be like, Hey, I really want you to be my friend. And this is what I think that would look like. And, and it's, it felt like such an unnatural thing to do, but it's resulted in one of the most life-giving friendships I have. Um, and then out is, uh, outward in mission. So, um, I look at practices, not just of how to share your faith, but how to join God's love on the move. That mission is God's love on the move. We're all caught up into this mission and that that love can take expression in a variety of ways. So upward to God, inward to self, withward in community and outward in mission. Ideally, we have a couple practices in each of those categories. It is, um, it is excellent. It is encouraging. The book is Rhythms for Life. We're really talking about, you know, how we don't just intentionally engage in spiritual practices, um, that we might become more mature in Christ Jesus, growing up in Him always and in all ways, but how it's distinctive to you as an individual. So the first part of the book is really about discovering who God made you to be in all of your distinctiveness, and then entering into the conversation about spiritual practices that flow out of your particular sense of identity. Um, so these fourfold rhythms are uh, upward, inward, withward, and outward, uh, Alistair Stern and I are going to continue the conversation in just a moment. Now I'm alive and born again, rescued from the grave of sin. God, Continue my conversation with Alistair Stern. We are talking about rhythms for life. Uh, you can find it at University Press. Um, I, I recommend you find it there at the IVP website because that's also where you can download the study guide and the uh, discussion cards, Rhythm, Rhythms for Life, Spiritual Practices for Who God Made You to Be. Um, Alistair, the epilogue is called Godspeed, um, and it really is not just, you know, like, hey, what you say, like at the end of a conversation, hey, Godspeed, you know, like, it's not just a walk-off. Um, you're really talking about moving at God's speed. It it occurs to me that justification happens in a moment. Um, sanctification takes a lifetime. None of us is like going to get the spiritual rhythms immediately or all right or, you know, always in sync. So this is like the grace chapter to me in terms of like there's all this work and labor and, and finding my spiritual rhythm and getting into it and practicing it. And then there's just all this grace. Yeah, and that's, that's where I I try to weave a, a thread of that through the book and then really make it explicit in the epilogue. And we've, we've been running this content in my church plant uh, for several years now. And then it, it became this book. And 
what I found is when I would journey with people in making a rhythm for life where they identify these practices and do all this discernment is their first draft is always just horribly unrealistic and would crush them and they would feel terrible about it. And, and so we, we started getting more proactive and saying, look, your first draft is just on, like you just can't do it. So if you had nothing to prove, uh, if you were just focusing on what are the essentials that are going to keep you moving toward Christ, what can you take away and what can you focus on? And there's this beautiful uh, short documentary available online by Matt Canlis called Godspeed. And uh, he talks about moving to rural Scotland, administering there, and uh, how the parish was really walking door to door. And and this pace of which Jesus walked on earth three miles an hour. And to, to embrace that that was the pace God moved at when he incarnated. And, and that really struck me that um, so often we try to outpace God. We're in such a hurry. And when it comes to transformation of character, God just seems to be a lot more content with being slower at that. And I think there's lots of examples throughout creation that, that anything beautiful often starts small and invisible and takes a long time to grow and develop. Uh, you can think about a seed becoming a plant or becoming a tree that, the, that this process of transformation into the image of Christ um, is slow because it takes time and it takes time to cultivate something good and beautiful within us. And mm. so that's the goal is just to remind people God's pace uh, might be slower than you anticipate, but it's a good pace. It's it's a holy pace, right? Yeah. Um, there are some things in here, like like how to breathe. Um, that are I think going to be surprising to people. Um, the rhythm of breath and the breath breathlessness uh, with which we anxiously sometimes move through life. Um, I'm wondering if you'll share just some experience from your own life of times um, or a time when you just recognized you were just completely out of sync and it it requires um, stopping and breathing and then and restarting can just because I think for a lot of us that's what we need to do we've we know we're out of sync but it takes courage to actually then just stop and restart yeah, when we're out of sync, we do so much to prop up our self-denial and to just power on and and heap on the pressure to, you know, get through the next hour, get through the next day. Uh, for myself, I went through a prolonged season of depression um, five or six years ago, and there were a lot of different events that um, brought that on in my life, um, the suicide of a friend and mentor and um, the stresses of church planting, uh, you know, being in the throes of, of newborn children, um, uh, being isolated from, you know, friendships, having just moved to church plant and, and all those things compounded into, um, a sense of despair that, that I just woke up to every day. And, um, at first I just kept going for probably nine months. I just pushed through every day and, uh, was preaching through Philippians this you know beautiful letter of joy and just avoided talking about joy whatsoever, mm-hmm. which was probably um, really bad preaching retrospectively. But um, it, 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 
unfortunately for a lot of us, what you end up doing is you, you hit a wall or you just can't do it anymore. And, and for me, I was fortunate enough to have a friend pull me aside and just say, Hey, you like, you're not okay. And, um, it's okay. Like, let's talk about it. And so for me, a lot of my journey in recovering through that, um, involved a lot of different things. Um, for a season, uh, it involved going to my doctor and, and getting a diagnosis of depression and, and, um, accepting that I need medicine for a season. And, and, um, I'm a big advocate that, um, medicine for mental health is not a weakness and it's not a lack of faith. Um, it's Amen. addressing a physiological reality. And for me, I would, I ended up having, um, staying on that medicine for three years and I was able to wean off, but many people aren't. And it's not, it's not a bad thing. If you, if you have to stay on the medicine, if it's helping you get the serotonin you need in your brain or whatever form of the SSRI you're using. Uh, for me, it involved, uh, I wasn't terribly out of shape, but I just needed to run. Um, I just ran outside, uh, downtown Vancouver. There's a, a seawall that goes all around the city and, uh, I would just run that and, and that movement, that, that kind of hitting the pavement allowed me to process a lot of my grief. Um, and then for me, the practice of gratitude was actually what pulled me out of it. And so that's why I, I pressed that practice so hard in the book is, um, Robert Emmons did a great study on gra gratitude and, and discovered that it can actually, uh, increase your set point of happiness. So how happy you might be on a given day, psychologists say is probably how happy you're going to be through your life. And Robert Emmons demonstrated that through gratitude, you can increase that set point by about 25%. And I just started with a simple gratitude journal at the end of the day. And I would just bullet point a couple of things. And at first it, I look back and it's almost comedic, which makes me feel happy all over again. But, um, I would write things like toothpaste, toothpaste, you know, thank, yeah. thank you God for modern right? dentistry. Absolutely. And, and then, um, I met a man named plumbing, indoor plumbing. Yeah. I guess that'd be probably the top of my list every day. Exactly. Right. And then, um, I met a author named Mike Mason who wrote a beautiful little book called champagne for the soul, which if you had to pick between my book and his book by his book <laughs> and, um, he, when we, when we hung out, he said, Alistair, why don't you try to focus on anytime you smiled or had a moment of joy in your day and write that in your gratitude journal. And so I started, I've started doing that over the years. And, and so some days, yeah, all, all you can muster up is the, the basic things we should be thankful for. Like, wow, I have a home. I have a bed. I have breath in my lungs. I, you know, I live in a country with freedom. Uh, and then it can be like, wow, like, my daughter's laugh today just warmed my soul or when she held my hand as I dropped her off at school or, um, or someone calling to encourage me in faith or, you know, you can, you can go on and on and it's, it's really a boundless practice. And, and I think God wired us this way because again, it, it establishes a grace filled world worldview. Well, we're going to add you to our um, gratitude journals today. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for who you are, for doing what you do, for living like you live for sharing with us um, really this, the, the, the produce of what has happened in the life of your own congregations, our own congregation. The book is Rhythms for the Journey. I encourage you to, um, to find it at the InterVarsity Press website, which is ivpress.com, um, because there you can get the discussion guide and you can get the little, the little cards 
um, and they're all downloadable for free. So I really appreciate that. Alistair Stern, um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to have to talk again about church planting some other time. My pleasure. Okay, fantastic. We'll be right back. All right, having just discovered that my stapler is out of staples, I am thankful now I'm going to show some gratitude for the times that there are staples in the stapler. I don't think that I take note of that. I only take note when they're missing. So there you go. Um, Let's do this today. Let's find a rhythm of gratitude today. Let's find practices um, of generosity toward others. I just, uh, I'm, I'm frankly excited about what God is doing in the world and in each one of us and through us in the world that he so loves. His grace is being extended to more and more people. And uh, I am grateful today to God for you. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.